Right now, I'm going to introduce our speaker. And uh, this young man, uh, he has just brought his wife and two children all the way down from uh, northern Virginia, where it's still a little chilly, to hot Florida, to live and to exist and to be a part of this family here at Campus View Church. And uh, we had a great welcome for them last Wednesday, had a lot of fun. Uh, but this morning, uh, we're going to have Josh Lund come on up and preach the word. So Josh, come on, buddy. All right. Good morning. How are we doing? Come on. Well, uh, like Jared said, my name is uh, Josh Lund, and I'll get into a little bit more of an introduction here in a second. But before I do that, I just want to say thank you guys so much. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This isn't just a thank you that's supposed to happen at the beginning of my first time preaching. But I, I mean, I, we have been so encouraged by the love that has been shown to us just this first week that we've been here, all the food that has been brought to us, um, all the people that have come up and showed an interest in our family, the people that we've been able to spend time with that have taken time out of their schedules just to have us over over into their houses during this wild quarantine. Uh, it has really meant so much to us. So I just want to let you guys know this is an incredible church. We are so excited to be able to be a part of it, and we have felt very encouraged and loved. So thank you guys so much. And uh, Sherwin, my goodness, man, that was incredible. I felt for a moment like I was in a like a righteous Billy Joel concert, you know? I mean, it was just, un and that, that's a com I hope you take that as a compliment, because that... Um, that was awesome. Thank you so much. The worship has been incredible this morning. I feel close to God. Uh, so amen. Um, just a little disclaimer. This is not my usual attire for preaching. Um, in case you were wondering, uh, you know, most of our stuff is still in a big container on its way here. And I, I, I believe Target is just out for me because they had every single size of khakis except mine. Um, and so, you know, amen. Um, hopefully you don't mind, but just wanted to put that out there. Um, real quick, this is uh, me and my family. I just want to introduce uh, you guys in case you haven't had a chance to meet us. But uh, this is my beautiful wife, Alana, and our two kids, Kai, who is four months old, and Nora, who is three years old. And, uh, and they are incredible. Uh, we all look forward to meeting you guys, and uh, hopefully you guys can get to meet us all very soon. So they're in the back right now, enjoying life, enjoying church. So, amen. We are so excited to be here. I hope I've made that clear. But the decision to come here and what the past few months of our lives have looked like has been pretty wild. You know, transition is never easy for anybody. I think we've all experienced it in one way or another. But I just want to share with you guys a little bit about what the past few months have been like for us. You know, there have been a lot of things that we've taken into account as we kind of decided what the next steps in our life was going to look like. A lot of things as we were trying to figure out, you know, as we were planning on kind of heading out of the Northern Virginia area, what is it that God wanted us to do? What is it that made the most sense? And to be honest, there were so many tangible things that told us not to go anywhere. I remember getting this random phone call from a Florida number. I'm like, probably some telemarketer, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pick this up. I get this, you know, voicemail from this random guy named Jared I never met before, you know, and kind of inquiring about this opportunity down here in Gainesville. And, you know, not something that I had ever imagined that I would be doing. You know, I thought as we were kind of trying to figure things out and 
came down and interviewed and was super encouraged, there were a lot of things that went through my head. You know, we started thinking about, you know, family. And we have so much family up there, right? All of our family was within 40 minutes from where we were up in Northern Virginia. I mean, you talk about free babysitting and, you know, grandparents getting to see the grandkids, like such a special and important relationship. Uh, you know, that was, that was something that we were thinking about, something that we had our eyes on. You know, we had our eyes on the, just this idea of familiarity. I've never lived outside of Virginia. It's a big deal for me. I know where all the, the, the shop, what's a Publix? I don't know. I know where all the grocery stores are in Virginia. I know where the places are that I like to eat. It was familiar. You know, I th- I, you know we, we, we really started to think about our children. And uh, I don't know why I'm getting choked up. I just love my kids. But, you know, they had a school where Nora was at. She just started going. And she had all these friends there, and she loved it. And we knew where all the parks were, and she had these special names for all the parks, and we could walk to them. And we had this incredible babysitter, right? She was a widow in the church, and she begged us to be able to come and watch our kids, and it was just incredible. You know, think about the ministry. We had a ministry that was growing. We loved it. Things were going the way that we wanted them to go. It was comfortable. It was risk-free. Right? Sticking around the Northern Virginia area, there was so little risk involved in that. You know, not only that, but when we finally decided to come here, we're looking for a house, and no matter how much money we offered people, they would not let us buy their house. <laughs> Praise God, you know, he was just making sure we waited for the right one. But I say all this to say that it seemed so silly for us to even think about making a move to someplace like Florida. You know, even my dad called me you know, kind of emotional, just feeling like, are you sure you want to leave? Are you sure you want to move? I just want to see the grandkids. And that, you know, that, that was hard. That was hard for me. And there were all these things that were just tangible. They were right there in front of me, things that I could see with my eyes, I could experience in the moment that made me feel like, I don't know if this is the right thing. But in time, there were scriptures that started to come into my mind, started to come into the decision, promises of God that really helped us to fix our eyes on what was important. Scriptures like Mark 10, 29, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters, mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, (laughs) eternal life. You know, things like this kept reminding us that there was so much more than just the things we could see and experience right there in the moment. That there were promises of God that went so much further than just the tangible things that we could see right then and there. That faith meant truly being sure of what we could not see. You know, the passage that I want to look at this morning, the thing that I really want to talk about that I think we're going to be looking at Genesis 13, but that I think is really exemplified there is just this idea of something that I have been battling with for the past few months. And to be honest with you, this is a sermon just as much for me as I hope it is for you. Something to continue to help my heart remember why we do the things that we do and where we need to look as disciples. The title this morning is Blind Faith. You know, real faith requires us to look further than our eyes can see. It requires us to trust blindly in the words of God, especially when the words of God contradict the things that are right before us. Amen? How many times have you read something in the Bible and you're like, God, that ain't true for me right now? And we have to trust blindly 
sometimes in those things. Like I said, we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1 and just go all the way down to verse 18. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and follow along. But in verse 1 it says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife, and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. So a little bit of background, right? Abram, back in chapter 12, is told by God to go leave your dad's house, go out, and I'm going to send you to a land that is promised for you and your descendants right? Back then, to leave your father's house was a big no-no, right? You stayed there. When you got married, you just built another room on top of the house. I mean, that's where you stayed, and you helped your dad with his job, and you learned his trade, and that's what the Middle East was like. So to leave was a pretty big deal. But God gives Abram this promise in verse 7 of chapter 12. He says, I am going to give you the land of Canaan. This is the promised land. This is the land that Moses and Joshua set out to eventually take over, but this was promised to Abram. And he says, your offspring are going to be so great that if anybody could count the dust, they could count your descendants. So they get down to, to, to Canaan, and they're there, and they're, you know, they're, they're, doing, they're doing the promise of God. But then this wild famine hits, and it's terrible, and fear and faithlessness set in, and Abram decides, hey, you know what, that place, Egypt, is looking pretty nice. Let's go down there for a little bit. Let's wait this thing out. So they go to Egypt. Things don't go super well, and they, you know, they end up kind of getting kicked out of Egypt, and, and they kind of realize that probably wasn't the best move, and so they end up leaving with all these herds and all these sheep and gold and silver. And they end up having so much of these things that, like we see in chapter 13, their herdsmen start arguing, and they decide, hey, you know what, it's probably going to be best if we go ahead and separate and go our different ways. And how these men end up in the directions that they go in helps us, I think, this morning understand how important having a faithful vision is in our walks with God. How important having blind faith can be when it comes to following 
Jesus. My first point this morning is vision versus sight. If you know who that is, you know, that's vision from uh, WandaVision. If you don't know who that is, don't worry. It has nothing to do with this point or anything like that. I just thought it was cool. So it's all good either way. But in verse 10, it says that, you know, Lot looks up, and when he does, he sees the whole plain of the Jordan. And this, this phrase, looked up in Hebrew, it's nasayin, um, but, but, but it's, it, it's important because it literally means to lift up your eyes. And it's important because this is the exact same phrase that God uses when Abraham goes out and God tells him to look up. He uses the same exact words because he's, he's like, listen, Lot looked up and he saw something, but I want you to look up and I want you to see what you're supposed to see. He says, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. It's important because both Abraham and Lot experience different things as they lift up their eyes, right? They experience things that are completely different, even though what's right in front of them is exactly the same. You know, Lot sees with sight, but Abram sees with vision. Lot lifts up his eyes, and and all he sees is a well-watered land, right? It's beautiful. All he sees is a land that resembles the land of Egypt. He says it's like the, the garden of the Lord, which I'm still trying to figure out how he knew what that looked like. But I think he was imagining. But he sees this beautiful land, but I think what he, what, he, what he, you know, decides to kind of disregard is that it's right next to these places that the Bible says are sinning greatly. They're wicked. But he just sees with his eyes what's right in front of him. But Lot sees what's right there in front of him, and it was a worldly and dangerous picture of what he thought was best. But Abram, when he lifts up his eyes, what he sees is totally different. You know, he didn't see anything that was right there in front of him. He didn't see anything that would have made the land appear like it was going to be a place that was going to support him and his family. It certainly didn't look like a place that was going to support so many people that you couldn't count them. But what he saw when he lifted up his eyes was God's promise. A land that would be so fruitful that it would take care of generation after generation after generation. You know, what's really cool is that He sees this, and he follows through, and he trusts this promise of God. And when he finally goes into this land, it says that he settles in a place called Mamre. That word can literally be translated vision. That Abram decides, you know what, I'm going to settle in this vision. I'm going to live in this vision. I'm going to make this vision the thing that I see, and not just the land that is right before me. You know, what we're going to see in a little bit is that Lot's decision— to view with sight rather than vision, ends up in the death of his wife, the degradation of his children and his family. It is not a good situation for Lot. But Abraham's vision results in the beginning of God's chosen people. You know, sight only promises the present. But vision is God's promises forever. And I love what Jesus says about the way that we use our eyes. The way that we see things in Luke 11, verse 34, it says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. You know, what we see, it doesn't just affect our perception of things. It doesn't just affect our outlook of a situation. What we see and how we view the world around us, it affects our entire spirituality. You know, it's the difference between light and darkness, the way that we use our eyes. You know, what we choose to perceive when we look out at our jobs, 
when we look out at the people that we walk by at school, right? When we look at our children, the way that we view that guy who just cut us off on 75, the way that we look at those situations decides where we are spiritually. You know, we can either see people that we want to impress or we can see people that we want to help become disciples. You know, maybe you look at your kids and you spend so much time thinking about how they can be successful and make it in life, and we spend so much time thinking about that that we lose sight of the fact that we want them to become disciples. You know, a big one for me is that when I look at people, I often want to look for the things that they can do for me rather than have vision for the things that I could do to serve them. Maybe you're the same boat. You know, I can look at somebody who hurts me and take so much time looking at how I can let them know what they just did, and I can lose vision for how this is probably one of the greatest opportunities to show them love that I could have. I think a really big one is how much time we use our eyes to look at our phones, to look at our computers, to look at Netflix, whatever it is, pick your poison, right? You know, I'm preaching to myself right now. I am addicted to screens, I spend way too much time looking at new things that I could get for this new house that we bought, different things that we could, you know, paint the walls with. That's a nice toilet. It would go good here. You know, all these kinds of things. And I can spend hours doing that kind of stuff, hours scrolling through Instagram or Reddit with no point. I'm not looking for anything. I just need to look at something. I can spend so much time watching Netflix, right? They only give you five seconds to stop before the next episode comes on, right? the next Marvel show that, that, that's on. But, but, but I, I'm so serious. I think we need to have a culture check. I think we need to have a culture check because if what Jesus says is true and that the eyes are the light of the body and we use our eyes so much to look at this kind of stuff, we are being pumped with social media. We are being pumped with things that are not always the words of Jesus. I'm not saying it's all bad. But when we spend so much time looking at screens, it is sometimes hard to see the difference between what we're reading and what we should be thinking. You know, church, do we have sight or do we have vision? How do we, how do we look at things that happen around us? How do we use our eyes? Are we focusing on the promises that God has and the faithful opportunities? Are we getting caught up in the things that are right before us? The next point, you know, I talk about this morning is hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and, and I want to talk about this because this idea of trying to have vision instead of just sight, it doesn't just happen. You know, it's not just something we can just flip a switch and decide, you know, I'm going to start looking at things faithfully, right? I'm going to just start trusting all the promises of God. So how do we have vision instead of sight? How do we make that change? How do we help our hearts trust blindly in the words of God? Well, I think one of the greatest things that we have is our past experiences, things that we've gone through, things that we've seen God already do in our lives. And that's exactly what we see happen here with Abram and Lot. You know, it's really cool, you know, we, you know, we have the opportunity to look back at all the things that God's done in our lives. But here, you know, even chapters 12 and 13, the way that they're written, help us to see how important this idea is. That the author of this, probably Moses, um, but, but you know, chapters 12 and 13 are written in such a way that, that the author wants us to understand that the people are in, the, are in the same exact situation in chapter 13 as they were in chapter 12. And I'll explain why here. And in chapter 13, verse 7, 
You know, it talks about this idea that the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Now, as I was reading this, I don't know if you felt this, but that's just a super random passage that really doesn't, you know, it has nothing to do with everything else that's around it. But I believe it's there to kind of give us the same exact setting and plot that we had back in chapter 12 because he says the exact same thing back in chapter 12, verse 6. He says, and the Canaanites were living in the land. It's like, yeah, it's Canaan, man, the, peop- the Canaanites, right? But he puts it there to draw the similarity. But that's not it, right? Abram, you know, when, he, when they go into Egypt, he tells Pharaoh that his wife is actually his sister. And the word there just means more of kinsman. But we know that his wife was not his sister, right? And it's a little lie that he tells in the middle of a conflict. Well, guess what? When he's in a conflict, and there's a conflict between the herdsmen of his and Lot, it says here that he's a close relative, but the word is the same exact word there. It means brother. He says, no, you're my brother. You're not his brother. You're his uncle. And there's this, there's this separation and this, this kind of use of changing the relationship between somebody in the midst of a conflict to make things easier to make things make more sense. But it doesn't just stop there, right? In the very beginning of chapter 13, it says that Abraham went to where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, where Abram built the first altar to the Lord. Three different things that it says also right there in chapter 12, just helping us to see that, hey, they are in the same situation. Let's see how they make a decision this time. They're in the same exact situation, the same exact people around them, conflicts going on, but let's see if they have a different vision looking out this time. Are they going to make the fearful decision to travel to a land like Egypt? Are they going to trust the promise that I've laid out there before them? And we know, right, Abram makes the faithful decision, but Lot runs back to a land just like Egypt. You know, while the situations are made to seem so similar, the outcomes are very different. You know, Abram made the fearful choice to go back to Egypt in the first place, but this time he gives his younger nephew the choice. All right, this was Abram's choice to make. He was older, and and the older person gets to make these choices and decide who gets what, but he gives it to his nephew. I mean, talk about blind faith. Like, hey, dude, you just choose. I'll go in the other direction. I trust God because he's come through, and he's shown me what happens when I don't trust him. You know, this time Abram learns from his past experiences and the trouble his fear and his faithless cause, faithlessness caused, while Lot, he ignores the past, and he looks once again for a land that was just like Egypt. A land that they were never supposed to go through in the first place. A land that they were never supposed to entertain the idea of being in, but they went to because their faith had dried out. But I think, you know, Abram doesn't just remember the consequences of making a faithless choice. He also remembers how God took care of them. Right? They don't come out of Egypt with nothing. They come out with so many sheep and flocks and gold and silver that two guys can't even live close to each other. They were blessed. They were taken care of. And I think, I think Abram looks at this and he says, dude, you choose whichever way because no matter where I end up, God is going to keep taking care of me. I'm looking at my past experiences and, and God hasn't let me down yet. Abram responds to the past. He does so with humility. He does so with sacrifice. He does so with blind faith. And God and his promise. And Lot just keeps looking at the things that are immediately before him. And I think, man, had Lot learned from his past experiences, he would have saved himself a lot of pain. He would have saved himself a lot of trouble that we're going to see here in just a little bit. But I want to ask you guys this morning, what are past experiences that you guys have that exemplify the trustworthiness of God? That show you that God is real, that he sees you, that he loves you, that he knows you, that he's listening you know, what answered prayer can you look back on 
and know that without a doubt, God listens. What moment in your life did you understand the love and the grace of God clearest? What gift has God given you that you would have never received on your own? I know mine is sitting right back out there. You know, something that I look back on a lot that really helps me when I'm feeling faithless, you know, a past experience. There was a time when I was in high school, senior year, and my family was going through a really difficult financial situation. That was not something I was used to at all. I remember my parents were split, and I go, I go over to my dad's house, and we end up having to go to the dollar store to do, like, serious grocery shopping. And I had never experienced something like that before. It was so hard to see my dad just have to just, just struggle to try to get something for us even to be able to eat. And I remember sitting in my bed that night in tears, just thinking about the, the difficulty that my family was going through. And I remember praying to God, I said, God, if you'll just help my dad out, if you will get him another job, I promise I will give you my entire life. And I didn't think twice about this prayer, and I went on with my life, but I ended up going to college about six months later, got reached out to, studied the Bible, became a follower of Jesus. And within the same month, my dad got a job up in Northern Virginia with the government. And I didn't realize at the time, but as soon as I connected all those dots, I was like, I mean, I just had to sit down for a second. I couldn't believe that God had worked things out in such a way where there would be no doubt it was anything but him. You know, it blew my mind, but, but, but there's past experiences in my life that if I don't look back on, if I don't remember, it is so hard to keep going forward trusting God blindly. You know, God gives us opportunities throughout our lives to recognize the truth that lies in his promises. You know, even for all of us in here, just becoming a Christian, it took a series of perfectly aligned events, right? Things that impacted your heart in just the right way to humble you, right? People being in the right place at the right time so that you might reach out and meet God. You know, that alone is a miracle enough to show us that God is there and he, he's working. When, when we remember these things, it provides so much assurance in having blind faith. Last thing I want to talk about is just this idea of looking ahead. You know, it's looking forward to the promises that we have in God. You know, when we, when we look ahead in Lot's life, what we see is pretty, it's pretty unfortunate. You know, Lot, he, he moves his tent super close to Sodom, but he ends up becoming a gatekeeper of Sodom. And a gatekeeper back then wasn't just somebody who kind of hung out outside of a city, but a gatekeeper was somebody who, who was one of the, the kind of most respected citizens of a town, they decided who came in to the city. They were the one that people would bring their problems to outside their disputes, and he would be the one to judge what was right and what was wrong. This was somebody who was so respected in a city that God called wicked and sinning greatly. You know, his faithless choice looking forward brought him way too close to danger. But this decision also had an impact on his family. We see his wife's disobedience, right? They end up having to flee this place because God's going to rain down fire on it. And God says, don't look back. And Lot's like, all right, you know. But his wife says, well, let me just take one more peek. She gets turned to salt. But it doesn't just stop there. It impacts his children too. They finally get out of there and his, his daughters get him drunk. And they end up having children with him. It's just terrible, but, but those children end up becoming the Moabites and the Ammonites, the, the, some of the two greatest enemies of Israel, all because of this faithless, worldly vision and choice. 
You know, when we look ahead at the decisions that were made without faith, right, just simply deciding on the things that were right before us, the immediate satisfaction, we realize that those, those things turn out to be situations we do not want. And I'm sure you could probably go back with past experiences or remember times where you made a decision. You're like, man, that didn't turn out very good. In the moment, it was great. About 10 minutes later, it wasn't. But on the other end, Abram becomes the father of Israel, and he gets to experience something infinitely greater. You know, we know that from Hebrews 11:13 that Abram didn't receive what was promised to him, but only saw it and welcomed it from a distance. Because of Abram's faith, he could see something so much greater than a well-watered land. The vision that he saw alone was better than what Lot received. Because he was able to look ahead at the promise that God had prepared for him. And I love how God tells him, he says, you know what? Go ahead and walk through this land because I've given it to you. Walk through the length and the breadth of it because it's yours. You know, we, we, we bought a house, uh, you know, last week. We closed on it. And, and, and the first thing we did after we signed those papers at closing is we drove right over to it and we walked through that house. I'd walked through it before, but I hadn't walked through it with the same heart that I had then because it was mine. I claimed that thing. We walked through that house, but God tells Abe, he says, walk through the land, it is yours. But as we leave here today, I want to encourage you to think about whether or not you're walking through the promises of God. Are those promises your promises? Because if you're not walking through them, they don't belong to you. They're there for you. God wants you to take them and claim them, but you've got to walk through the promises. You've got to hold up your end, and you've got to trust, because God always comes through on his end. But you've got to walk through the promises. Are you taking hold of God's promises and claiming them? Are you putting them to the test? Are you doing what God says, believing that he's going to fulfill his end? You know, promises like when Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. When you pray, are you walking through that promise? Or is that just way too hard to fathom? You know, promises like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Man, there's times where, you know, spiritual things, coming to church, that doesn't feel like rest. But I know when I really give my heart to God, and I'm there, and I hear what his word has to say, and I experience the fellowship, I am so, I'm so filled. You know, promises like anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And I tell you what, when I, when, I, when I go out and I invite people to church, talk about Jesus, shame is probably the biggest thing I'm worried about. But he says anybody who has faith in him will never be put to shame. You know, one of my favorites is, you know, Jesus' last words, right? Surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. If you believe that the creator of everything is with you always, man, that changes the game. But are we walking through these promises? And when Jesus was on the cross, it's, it's this blind faith that he exemplified perfectly for us. It says in Hebrews 12, 2, that we should look to Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And I think had Jesus not focused on the joy the cross was going to provide, if he only saw the pain, if he only saw the disrespect and the hurt and the hate, then none of us would be here this morning. Jesus had vision on the cross. He saw so much further than sight. I want to encourage us this morning as we leave, walk through one new promise. Pick a new promise that, that, that you know or that's, that's, that's in, in the Bible and walk through it and choose to walk through it forever. 
But if you're visiting, I, you know, I just want to encourage you as well. Maybe, maybe you've been coming out for a while. Maybe it's your first time coming out this morning, whatever it is. You know, sometimes diving all in on this church thing, you know, it seems overwhelming, right? It seems maybe it's just not worth it. But I urge you, ask whoever invited you out this morning. You know, ask, ask whoever you came here with, you know, whatever it is. Ask them to study the Bible, to see the promises and just give it a shot. Because if what I'm saying is true, you've got a lot to lose. But if it's not true, well, you just wasted a few Sundays. Amen. <laughs> give it a shot. Give it a shot to see if what God has to offer is greater than anything you could imagine otherwise. Campus View Church, we are so excited to be here. We are so grateful for the love that you guys have shown, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to see God do some incredible things here in Florida. Thank you guys for the opportunity to share. Amen.